Welcome everyone to another episode of Ask Anarchan. This is a podcast series where we discuss a topic relating to the work that we do here at Natural Resources Canada, or Anarchan for short. We're going to introduce a topic, we'll discuss it with one of our Anarchan experts, and then we'll look to you to continue the conversation over social media. At the end of the episode, if you have any questions on today's topic, we strongly encourage you to go on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. Our expert will do his or her best to answer all relevant questions. Sounds good? Okay, on with the show. Today, we're going to be talking about pipelines. Now, the subject of pipelines is very polarizing. It's a topic that gets a significant amount of media coverage, and rightfully so, it's an important issue. The purpose of this episode is not to debate our society's relationship with fossil fuels. What we want to do is present you with unbiased information about pipelines in our country so that you, in turn, can actively participate in discussions on the subject. To accomplish this, we've asked John Foran to sit down with us and have a conversation. John is the director of the Pipelines Division here at NRCAN. John, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Let's start by taking a look at the overall picture. What can you tell us about pipelines as a whole in Canada? What are they used for and why do we need them? Okay, well, I'll answer the last part of the question first. Um, we need pipelines because we use gasoline and other petroleum products like diesel fuel uh, and natural gas um, in our daily lives. For example, I have a car. Uh, other people don't have a car, so they don't need gasoline, but they probably use public transit, which mainly uses diesel in our country. Um, over half the homes in Canada are heated with natural gas. Uh, natural gas is also used for cooking and water heating. So in order to move natural gas from the producing fields in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia to the cities where it's used, you need pipelines. Natural gas has to be delivered as it's used. Every home that uses natural gas has a small pipeline going into it. Similarly, uh, petroleum products are used at all the airports across Canada for automobiles, uh, large trucks that deliver the goods we use to uh, stores, grocery stores, for example, use diesel. And those products, diesel and gasoline, come from refineries and they're made out of crude oil. So you need pipelines to move the crude oil to the refineries. The, the reason you need pipelines, or another reason you need pipelines is that since you need to have these products and you need to have natural gas and crude oil moved around, you should use the, the system of transportation that has the lowest impact on the environment and the least inconvenience to the public. And pipelines fit the bill there. Um, pipelines uh, are not seen and buried underground, so they don't interfere with our daily lives. And uh, they're very cost-effective, much more cost-effective, for example, than moving crude oil by truck or rail. There are about 760,000 kilometers of pipelines in this country of various size from the very smallest garden hose, uh, plastic lines going into houses that deliver natural gas, to 48-inch large steel pipelines that move crude oil or natural gas from the western provinces across the country. So you, you just said that pipelines are, are buried underground. Is that why I've personally never seen one? Exactly. Uh, if you live in a city, in most of the cities in Canada, and you go to work, you're probably crossing numerous pipelines every day. They're buried underground. Um, all the major airports typically have a pipeline bringing aviation fuel or jet fuel to the airport. Uh, gasoline is delivered by pipeline from refineries to distribution centers and then it goes into smaller 
trucks and goes to fuel stations. Um, a lot of the prairies has oil and gas pipelines traversing the country, bringing oil and gas from Western Canada eastward. Um, so there's pipelines everywhere. Um, if I understand this correctly, pipelines fall under both federal and provincial jurisdictions, right? Exactly. The Constitution of Canada divides up responsibility uh, among the provinces and the federal government depending on the where the activity occurs. For example, if um, there is a market activity occurring entirely in a province, that typically that's regulated by the province, and the uh, infrastructure involved in that activity is regulated by the province. What this means for pipelines is if a pipeline is moving crude oil within a province, it is typically regulated by the province. Whereas anything that's involved in international or, or interprovincial trade is the responsibility of the federal government. And the infrastructure involved in that is regulated by a federal agency, the National Energy Board. So of the 760,000 kilometers of pipelines we have in Canada, about 73,000 kilometers are regulated by the National Energy Board. However, even though that's less than 10% of the pipelines, a lot of the pipelines regulated by provinces are of the smaller ones, like all those distribution lines going into houses. And the National Energy Board regulated pipelines tend to be the larger transnational pipelines. So, John, you mentioned the National Energy Board. Um, I was curious, what is the Government of Canada's involvement in regulating pipelines, and where does NRCAN fit into the picture? Sure. Um, the Government of Canada sets the legislation under which the NEB operates. So everything the NEB does has to conform to the National Energy Board Act, which is uh, legislation set down by Parliament. And from time to time, the government can change the NEB Act. Most recently, um, the, the Pipeline Safety Act amended the National Energy Board Act. Uh, those amendments came into force in June 2016. So the Minister of Natural Resources Canada and the Government of Canada have a direct role in the changes to the legislation. So once legislation is in place, the NEB implements it. The NEB is an independent agency. It uh, makes decisions and recommendations on major projects. And so just maybe illustrate with an example. If a pipeline company applies to build a major pipeline project that's going to cross borders and be regulated by the National Energy Board, the company makes an application to the NEB. The NEB holds public hearings, uh, makes a recommendation report, which is public, which comes to the Minister of Natural Resources Canada, who then makes a recommendation to the Government of Canada, the Cabinet, which makes a, a final decision on the project. In making its decisions and advice, the Minister relies on help from the Department, Natural Resources Canada, and uh, so that's how NRCAN plays uh, on the uh, decisions on major projects and on changes to legislation. NRCAN is also a science-based department. We do research on the behavior of crude oil if it's spilled into uh, a uh, freshwater or saltwater environment. Uh, you know, how long does crude oil float? Under what conditions does some of it degrade and start to sink? And also we do research related to pipeline corrosion, uh, the behavior of pipelines when exposed to crude oils of different types. I see. Um, to go back to the NEB, what are the exact responsibilities of the National Energy Board regarding pipelines? Well, the NEB regulates pipelines on a full life cycle basis. They regulate uh, 
pipelines when a new pipeline is proposed. As I said, the NEB does a review, uh, public hearings, and environmental assessment. Um, the NEB proposes conditions that if the project is approved, the pipeline company will have to meet and uh, in terms of the construction of the pipeline and its ongoing operation. Um, once the pipeline is operating, the NEB regulates the pipeline to ensure it, it uh, is operated in a way to protect public health, safety, and the environment. Pipelines are natural monopolies in, in the sense that there aren't a lot of pipelines competing with each other to move crude oil or natural gas across the country. Typically, you have only a couple in uh, over a certain point A to point B route. So monopolies are regulated by the government, so the NEB approves the tolls that the pipeline companies can charge for moving oil or gas from point A to point B. There are a lot of concerns expressed about the safety of pipelines, especially concerns over the impact of potential crude oil spills. How safe are federally regulated pipelines? Well, uh, there are two, I think, aspects to safety, pipeline safety. One is public health and safety. Um, and pipelines are clearly extremely safe. There's never been a person killed by an oil pipeline in Canada. Injuries to the public are extremely rare. Um, pipelines don't have moving parts, really. Um, they're buried underground, so they don't interact with people. And uh, from the public health and safety aspect, they're very safe. The second aspect is protection of the environment. Um, and again, pipelines are extremely safe from that perspective as well. Um, and the reason they're very safe is that the National Energy Board takes great care to ensure that pipelines are constructed and operated with regards to safety. Everything from the thickness and type of steel that may be used in a pipeline, the types of valves, the operating system and the uh, control room that is required, the integrity management plan. Pipelines have to have a plan to detect anomalies in their pipeline and fix them before they, the pipeline leaks. Uh, they have to have automatic uh, leak detection and shutoff systems. So for all these reasons, pipelines uh, tend to be extremely safe and in, have very minimal impacts on the environment. Okay, so that, that sounds pretty good, all the regulations and detection systems, but what's the actual track record of federally regulated pipelines? Uh, extremely good. In Canada, federally regulated pipelines um, have very few spills, leaks, or ruptures. To give you an idea, I'll use some statistics. In Canada, we move 1.3 billion barrels of liquids, either crude oil, petroleum products, every year. And in 2016, we had five incidents involving liquid release from federally regulated oil pipelines, and the total amount leaked was 50 barrels. So when you do the math, the amount that is uh, spilled from this oil that's moved around, oil and petroleum products, is very small. 99.999% of the liquids moved by the federally regulated Canadian pipeline system is moved safely and does not spill. Typically, also, if there is a spill, it's typically confined by pi to pipeline company property. Um, for example, in February of 2017, there was an incident where a contractor punctured a liquids pipeline in Edmonton. 6,000 barrels of petroleum products were spilled into a pit. Uh, this was uh, entirely on the uh, industrial site, and the oil was recovered by vacuum trucks. The line was repaired, and it was put back into service in early March with no public impacts. 
So that's a fairly typical incident uh, of a pipeline spill. Have we had any major incidents involving oil spills in the past? Yes. Uh, over the last 25 years, there have been nine incidents resulting in the spilling of a significant amount of liquid. Most of those incidents were due to corrosion of the oil pipeline on Enbridge's Line 3, which is currently being replaced. And there were several uh, impacts or so several incidents where a contractor operating a backhoe punctured a line by mistake. When a spill happens, what steps are taken to ensure that we minimize the damage? Well, the steps that are taken start even before the pipeline is built. Uh, the NEB requires that pipelines have integrity management plans to ensure that there are no leaks and emergency response plans to ensure the pipeline company is ready to respond to a leak. So if there is a leak, those plans, the emergency response plan would kick in. Uh, the pipeline would be shut down automatically with valves closed remotely. Um, and the company would immediately respond, send vacuum trucks out to recover the spilled oil, uh, close the line, purge it of product, and undertake repairs. The National Energy Board would typically send an inspector out to ensure that everything is done the right way. And uh, there is a requirement, if there is a spill, that the spill site be remediated to a condition similar to that which existed prior to the spill. So that, that's a requirement in the NEB Act. So, so in that situation, if there's a need for cleanup, um, who's responsible for cleaning it up and who pays for it? Well, in the NEB Act and the Pipeline Safety Act, the, the legislation calls for the polluter to pay for the, for the problem they cause. So the pipeline company is responsible to clean up and pay for all the costs of any pipeline spill. Um, this uh, doesn't matter if the, the spill was caused by the pipeline or a third party. Pipelines operating major oil pipelines have absolute liability up to $1 billion and unlimited liability if they themselves are at fault for this bill. In any case, pipeline companies must clean up and restore the site and must provide financial compensation to anybody that's negatively impacted by this bill. For example, in, um, in the prairies, for example, there may be a planted field and if oil spills on the field and the crop is ruined, the pipeline company must recuperate the spilled oil remove and replace any contaminated soil, and pay the farmer for the value of the crops that were lost. So that's in the National Energy Board Act, these requirements. If there's a dispute over compensation, which sometimes is the case, there's also provision in the NEB Act for the minister to appoint an arbitration committee to look at the situation, and the, um, th these committees hear evidence from the pipeline company, and the landowner or the party that was damaged by the spill, and they they can set uh, a payment for the pipeline company to make to the landowner. So it's a binding arbitration type of situation. And that's available for, for anybody who feels that the financial compensation offered by the pipeline company is inadequate. Well, thank you, John, for taking the time to explore this topic with us. We really appreciate it. Now's the point of the episode where we ask you to continue the conversation over social media. If you have any questions for John, or if you have comments on this episode, we'd like you to get on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. Also, if you're interested in learning more about this subject, we encourage you to visit our Science at NRCAN website at www.nrcan.gc.ca slash science slash home, and look for the article on Pipelines 101. We'll have links available to any relevant material. 
And while you're there, you should take the time to browse our site. We have tons of interesting information for you. We have previous podcast episodes, articles, scientist profiles, and we also have our Science at Work video series. And that series showcases the science that we do here at NRCAN and how it impacts the lives of Canadians. Well, that's it for this episode of Ask NRCAN. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.